Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 107 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we looked into recent discussions about a corporate counsel who tests lawyers of outside law firms on basic technology skills. This week, we thought it was time to visit the current state of one of the most longstanding and popular goals of lawyers using and wanting to use technology. And that's using technology to eliminate paper or the mythical paperless office. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we're going to be talking about the paperless office and whether it is actually a myth or it's really something that can be accomplished. In our second segment, we'll discuss Georgetown University Law Center's Iron Tech competition. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But first, let's, uh, let's get started on our main topic, and that's the paperless office. It's, I think, certainly not a new topic, uh, but it's a topic that seems to be of constant interest to lawyers. And, and yet, I still have the sense that lawyers are creating and keeping more paper than ever. I know certainly in my work, and we'll talk about this later, I see more paper being kept than ever. Uh, Dennis, this, this topic has been on our list of podcast ideas for years, I think. Is there some reason we're talking about it now? Well, I think the topic sort of ebbs and flows, as you say, and, and that it's been around for a long time. But it just seems like lately I see a lot more discussion of it. It certainly seems like it's on every legal tech CLE seminar agenda. And the sessions are really well attended. I, we were just talking about I know law, ABA's Law Practice Management section. There's a, a book on paperless office in the, in the works. So I think I, just because I've seen a lot more discussion and then I look at uh, you know, my own desk and all the paper all over it and, and I say, you know, has this really happened for any, anybody? So that's one thing. And then I, I think that there's so much discussion of, you know, this sort of web 2.0 tools, Dropbox, Google Docs, online banking, bill paying, you know, where we're getting, you know, bills and receipts uh, over the internet and no paper, uh, just tablets or smartphones. And so it seems like maybe there's a uh, a little bit of a, a different perspective. And, and so it seems like there's there's energy around the topic. But as you say, Tom, I, I, it seems like we're also seeing as much paper as ever. I agree. And, and, and when you say that, that it's a popular topic at legal tech CLEs, I would wager, I, granted, I didn't go and do the research before we talked about it, but I would wager that you will not find this on the agendas of legal tech or ILTA, uh, or at least at any strong, s- strong level of, 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 of activity. Uh, certainly a tech show, uh, you, I mean, like you said, it was the most popular track at ABA Tech Show, and I would imagine at solo and small firm conferences, it's also extremely popular, those sessions. And that's why I think that, for, to a large extent, the paperless office is something that solo and small firm lawyers care about a whole lot more. And there's probably good reason for that. It's, it's because they, they're responsible for their own paper. They're responsible for everything else, where in, with large firms, 
I, I think that that there's one less that uh, individual employees can do to affect whether your office goes paperless or not, uh, whether or not they can af- influence your technology committee if they have one to uh, to do something about it. But I think that there is much more wi- widespread interest about paperless office among smaller law firms uh, than than anybody else. But I'll say. Working as I do for corporate, I, I work for, for corporations now, not in law firms. I work mostly with corporate legal departments. And I find that most of those companies, uh, you know, the statistics show that the amount of paper being generated is, is less than it ever has been in our history, that, that more records are now electronic than paper. But, but we're still finding that most companies have paper. And I would, get, I would put law firms in with that. And it's mostly because nobody's getting rid of the paper. Uh, they may not be generating as much, but they're also not getting rid of it. And I think that there are really some very clear benefits to uh, to being paperless. Or maybe we should not. We should make a distinction between paperless and paper free. And maybe that kind of leads us into a little maybe history on how 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 legal technologists and how we've approached the idea of the paperless office over time. Dennis, you want to. Fill us in on 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 how that came about. We well, you know for the for for many years now, it's that uh, you go back to the work that originally, uh, you know, Ross Codner, legal uh, technology consultant, and and Bruce Olson, a lawyer, did together to kind of create the paperless office, a, a paperless office concept for for Bruce, and then how Ross evangelized that and gave his paperless uh, office talk or his presentation to, I would say thousands, you know, all over the place, thousands of of lawyers all over the country, Mm -hmm. very popular. And so then, so I I think you always had that out, out there for, uh, you know, 15 plus years and incredibly popular, got people thinking uh, and, and gave, to me, what is the the basic approach when I think paperless? Uh, you know, which it's uh, even today is is still a topic I always associate w- with Ross because he's such a popularizer of of the notion. But to me, the basic approach in in those days, which you know conceptually is is similar today, but we'll talk about how it's changed with some of the different technologies. Is you have a scanner, ideally at the desk of of the lawyer. You have Adobe Acrobat, uh, so the those, the paper gets scanned to to become a PDF file and managed as a PDF file, and some kind of document management or search tool. And um, in sort of the classic approaches, it was something like World Docs as a document manager slash search tool. But you had some variation of of the different types of of tools that you could use. And so the idea was that uh, you would just whenever paper came to your office, you just Put it into the scanner, turn it into a PDF, put it into your document management system, uh, and get rid of the paper. And so that on the intake side, you were eliminating paper, and then you tried to do as much electronically as you could. And and I think that what people found is it took a lot of discipline, and you were always finding sort of exceptions to the rule. You know, I can't really throw this away, can I? Or you know, this has to be printed out or something has to have a wet signature on it, those sorts of things. And so I think you got slippage from it. And then uh, I think it took a certain amount of discipline um, to actually kind of keep to paperless office. So I don't know 
I really don't know people who've, who've ever told me, like, I have done this completely successfully for a long period of time. Although I think people have made, uh, you know, dramatic reductions in the amount of, of paper they generate and that's involved in their practice. Tom, I mean, what's your sense of, you know, going from the early days when you first heard about paperless office and then maybe the feedback that you, you got on it and, and then maybe we can kind of talk about the more modern, the more modern approaches. Well, I don't know that the modern approaches have changed significantly. I think that what's changed is probably the quality of the technology that will enable the paperless office. I think that the way the, you know, the, the basic, the basic setup that you described, having a scanner, having software that will help to scan the software and, I mean, excuse me, scan the paper and then, and then make it searchable. And then a search tool, whether it's a, a document management system or it's, uh, uh, some software that you can point at at the documents and search it. I don't think that that had those those concepts have really changed. What what has changed, I think, over the past ten or so years is the quality of OCR software. I think that that uh, you know when we first started um, looking at software that could read a scan document, um, we <laughs> we we were we were kind of horrified at at the, at how bad a job that it did and that it. It, it turned things to weird looking shapes on your page and it didn't really read it very well. But uh, most of the OCR software that I'm familiar with these days actually does a really, really nice job of making it searchable. Uh, I know that I've used on the iPad a number of, of scanners and I've, and, and it, 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 that have OCR software in there. And they, and they actually do a good job, even for what I would consider to be probably a, a lesser quality scanning tool. Um, of course, uh, of course, it's. Oh, I can think what's also different is is depending on the scale of the of the scanning operation that you want to have. If if you're talking a solo or small firm, then you're you know getting into that routinized, uh, getting into a routine of scanning really makes sense if everybody's got a scanner or there are 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 scanners that are located in good centralized locations, so that it makes it easy for you to scan. You know the the idea of having something next to you on the table when you get your mail in or when you're you know looking at something else that uh, that's in paper you can just you can just feed it into the scanner right then and there rather than having to walk down the hall to a to a copy room and and feed it in i think that's one thing that helps develop that routine but as you get to bigger firms that becomes less practical and you have bigger systems uh you have more sophisticated software um and then you probably are are, are feeding those in, that information into full-fledged document management systems that can not only read and search for the information, but also create metadata around it. And, and, and you're able to actually re retain and, uh, and keep that information uh, for long periods of time, according to whatever your retention period happens to be. I, I, I find, though, that I think companies, corporations, non-law firms, to a certain extent, do a lot better at this because, and one reason I think is because that there are certain functions within a corporation that lend themselves to scanning, to automatic scanning. You know, and one example is invoices. Anytime a company gets invoices in, uh, most of the companies I work with, they immediately go to a scanner. They're scanned. The paper is kept for 30 days while they make sure that there's no quality issues that come out, and then it's destroyed. And that's an automatic process, and all of their invoices are electronic. I find that 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 doesn't happen in a in an automatic manner in law firms like that and I think it's because of the nature of the records that are being kept and I also think it's because of the 
I guess, risk averse nature of lawyers to to be hesitant to give up um, paper records, no matter what, you know, whether they have them in digital or paper or both format. Dennis, do you do you get a sense of, of why this is happening or why they feel like that? Well, I mean, I think there are a number of things actually happening now that are, you know, uh, kind of work in a, in a couple of different directions. But I, I think with lawyers and, and paper, you know, what I've noticed sometimes and, and heard people talk about is that sometimes you may have a records retention policy that requires stuff to be deleted in a short period of, of time or it's automatically deleted. And in some cases, the exception to the rule is for paper documents. You know, whether this is a smart thing to do, I'm not even going to comment on that because there are all sorts of, as you know, Tom, all sorts of approaches to to records management. But then people say, oh, I think I might need this email or document or whatever. And if it's going to be automatically deleted, but I can kind of print it out and still have it in a file folder in my desk. Um, for reference, if I ever need it, then all of a sudden this, you know, you're starting to create more, more paper. So, so I think, I think there's that also, you know, obviously lawyers who've had some kind of backup disaster or, you know, that sort of thing, they tend to want more paper there. There certainly is the generational thing where, um, you know, older lawyers are more comfortable with, with paper. And we're going to talk about our, our own approach, but I I think that a lot of times you print things because uh, because of eyesight as you get older that it's just e- still easier to read paper, especially if if you need to to read a long article or something like that rather than to read on the screen. So I think you I think you see um, some some of that. So but at the same time, on the countervailing trend is that there's now more of a sense of that you're willing to use the smartphone to take a picture of receipts, or you might be willing to have a receipt emailed to you or texted to you. So there are in other places where you're, you're definitely reducing the use of paper and you're happy with that. So I think the notion of paper and documents and records has kind of changed too. So um, it's just a little bit more complex in, in that sense. Um, and, and there's been evolution, but, uh, you know, so I, I think you see that. I mean, the other thing I want to go back to was that sort of basic approach, you know, scanner, Acrobat, and the, the document management or search tool. And, and my sense is that that's kind of simplified, too, over, over time so that now you just, it just seems like in the past there were like a bunch of different scanners you might use, but now it seems like everybody's going, you need one of these great uh, Fujitsu scan snaps mm-hmm. uh, uh, scanners because they work so well. Yep. And then Adobe Acrobat has so many features that it has that ability to do, you know, all those different things to uh, organize documents, uh, you know, to do the searching. Uh, you talked about OCR. Um, and OCR can still be a little tricky, but yeah, the technology is really improved. But I think that people are okay with, with uh, just scanning the you know, the image of things that can be adequate in some cases. And then I like what's what Adobe does too, of doing the OCR in the background so that uh, you don't have to look at what the scan is, but then using that, that makes the document searchable. I think that's also been a big help. And then Tom, I'll throw this over to you. Cause I, I think that this is going to be part of part of the change and why people are talking about it, but that's, um, 
the role of smartphones and tablets in the in the in the the paperless office concept. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that that's all combined with what what you were mentioning l- earlier about uh, you know the idea of of Dropbox and Google Docs and and moving things more online to the cloud. Uh, you know the fact that you've got a, a tablet computer now that you can carry around and that and that does many of the things that your laptop used to do. I really I really find that that you know you can you can take notes on a on an iPad now. Why do you need to bring your paper notebook to 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 take paper notes on that? Um, you can easily on your iPhone. Uh, you know I've I have an app on my on my Android phone. Uh, that's available for iPhone 2 called Expensify. And whenever I get a receipt for work, I can scan it in and it's automatically there. And I don't need to keep that paper receipt anymore because most companies, most people don't need the paper version of it. They'll take a scan version without any problem. And and frankly, I know lots of companies that use software called Concur that's even better for, for scanning. And I think that as we are finding um, apps that will scan things and will scan it and automatically uh, will 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 automatically read it and 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 deal with it. That uh, that is, I think, contributing to the to the decrease in paper uh, that we're seeing all over time. But you know, a lot of the things you said make sense. I think there's a lot of generational issues. I was literally in a meeting yesterday where an, a, a person of an older generation looked at me and actually said these words: "Are you telling me that you're going to take my paper away from me?" And uh, and I had to say, no, I'm not really taking your paper away. But there's a real fear about that among among certain generations. And I think that as current generations start to use these new technologies, I think that the convenience factor of not having to deal with paper and being able to get to all of it via an electronic device is going to make a huge, huge difference. Um, Dennis, I see that we have in our outline why Dennis isn't paperless and why Tom isn't paperless. Um, you want to cover that now? Do you want to talk about why you're not? We're we're talking about it. We might as well fess up ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I, what I think is funny uh, is that for me, the whole idea of me talking about the paperless office concept. If if you anybody looked at my desk at work and my desk at home, you would, as they say, LOL. Um, just <laughs> at the very idea of, of me talking about this, this, this topic. And, and I, I really try hard on this stuff to reduce the, the paper, but, um, there for certain things, it's just hard for me to, to read on, on a screen. Um, and on some of the things I won off the internet and, and as I'm moving from, you know, sort of work computer, home computer, you know, iPad, uh, iPhone, it's, it just gets a little tricky. And so sometimes it's, it's just convenient for me to, to print something out. So, I mean, time our, like our, our script, um, to the extent that we can call what we use for these shows a, a script, I always print out. And, and I suspect that you're sitting there with it on an iPad or that's sort of how I envision these things. But so I, I think it's difficult. So the, the paper thing is part of what I, uh, you know, I can't really get away from, um, although I, I really feel like I'm trying to do my best, but I don't really have a great organized system and approach because I'm in a couple different places where I work. And I think that makes it difficult. So sort of the, the classic paperless office, you kind of had the traditional lawyer setup, 
and you had mail coming in, and that's a big change. You know, the, the sort of post office mail is, is a much smaller component of what lawyers do than it, it used to be 20 years ago, 15, 10 years ago. So that sort of changes the dynamic a bit. So um, I think it's, it's complex. And, and as I alluded to earlier, for me, just sometimes, uh, you know, with the eyes starting to go, it's, it's still, it's easier for me to read some things on paper at this point. And, and also sometimes to do my markup of, of documents is still easier to do on, on paper than on screen. So um, all those things kind of conspire against, uh, against me, although I would like to do a lot better. Well, I'm glad that one of us here can walk the talk because I, uh, I am fully paperless in my work. Uh, and and that's, I don't know that that's entirely by choice. It's just sort of the way that things have worked out. Um, I can't say that I you know, correlate exactly one-to-one with what a lawyer does, but I don't know that there's a lot different that I would do if I was practicing law on a regular basis. I think that, that uh, you know, all of my documents are electronic. I don't, I don't get mail. Uh, as a consultant, I don't get mail other than email. Um, I, I I haven't gotten to the point yet where I what I where I would rather print things out to read them. Um, and and frankly, I, I you know I just spent a whole week with a client, and a number of the people from the client brought me lots of paper documents uh, during the interviews that I had with them, and and they are sitting here on a stack on my uh, on my desk, but they're waiting for me to scan them because I need to make sure they're available to everybody else on my team. And so I'm going to scan them, put them up online, and then I'm going to put these paper records in a file because they're client records. I've got to keep them at some point. So I'm, I, I think that would be the difference. If I were a lawyer practicing, I think the only thing that would be different was, would be how to deal with the paper records that I receive from the outside world because I'm fairly comfortable. And you're right. Uh, I think that if we'd had this podcast maybe three or four months ago, I would have been printing out my scripts too and reading them. But lately, I've started using the iPad uh, to to do my scripts uh, and to read them that way, and it's just it's more convenient. I find that that not having to print something out is so much so much easier, so much better for me. Um, but but then again, the goal of paperless is not to be paper free. It's to just have less paper um, in your life, in your work, and 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 so I'm I'm certainly not the standard by which anything should be judged. What what I mean, Dennis? Do you think the goal is too elusive? Do you think it's too hard? Well. I think it probably varies from person to person, and I think that it's hard. I, I think that what we talked about earlier was just sort of Ross's notion of, of paper less rather than right. paper free is, is an important one. So that it's, if you can get the sort of, you know, 80%, 90% reduction in paper, you've really accomplished a lot. And maybe the extra effort to to eliminate that last bit is not you're not worth your time and, and money and, and effort to, to do. And you should just pat yourself on the back for what you've been able uh, to accomplish. So I, I think it, I think it is a, a little bit tricky um, on that. Um, but I think the tablet, the smartphone is, is I think really going to, especially over the next say three to five years is really going to change the approach that we take to paper in general. You know, it's uh, like I say, I, from receipts, uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's this, this thing that uh, I was, somebody was talking today about how, you know, the, the, you still have some of those things like, you know, cabs and some other places that use those uh, thermal printers mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. credit card receipts. And then, 
if you go back and look at them, you know, whatever, a few weeks, a few months later, I mean, basically, <laughs> you know, they're gone. It's just a, a blank <laughs> piece of paper. So there's some of those issues. So you, you're saying, yeah, it would be great to have a receipt emailed to me or in a form that I can, in electronic form that I can then automatically file with an expense report or something. So I think we're moving in that direction with sort of like the, the smartphone, the tablet kind of being the, the way that, that we do that. And, um, but I, I think it's tricky. It's a little bit, uh, different for, for everybody. And I'm really kind of interested in, like I said, the sort of new, the new takes on paperless. Cause there is a lot of discussion and I, I think there's, you know, I'm, I'm sure that Ross, uh, although I haven't seen him do the presentation in, 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 you know, a good number of years, but, but I think that he's always evolving that notion. I know our friend, uh, Ernie Svensson has, has some mm-hmm. ideas on, on paperless office and, and there's some really good stuff out there that start to say, here's how you use the, uh, the, the, the modern tools like David Sparks, I think has like an ebook with video on it. So there's, you know, there's a lot of different things out there that can give people a, ideas but uh you kind of have to look at who you are and how you use paper and and how realistic it is to say i'm going to try to eliminate it all i i think reduction is is probably the the right goal i agree and and that was going to be my one tip to kind of close out this segment is uh, like so many of the things when we give tips here it's it's sort of a crawl before you walk type thing and if you really are are interested in being uh, having less paper in your practice, but you don't want to just dive completely into the deep end of the pool, then uh, then then do like the corporations do and and choose a type of record that you've got too much paper in. Uh, choose something in your business that if you started scanning it, um, it would make life easier from both a storage perspective and maybe a cost perspective if you're having to send it to offsite storage. And maybe just start with that kind and start you know making a commitment to to scanning that information and keeping it electronically rather than in paper and, and, and just see how that works. And, and, and if it, it works for you, great. If it, if it doesn't, then figure out a, a different method that, uh, that works. Like Dennis says, there are a lot of resources out there with a lot of very smart strategies on, on how to reduce the amount of paper in your practice. And I absolutely take advantage of all of that. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We're always looking for new ways technology can be used to change the practice of law and the delivery of legal services. In this episode, I want to mention a really innovative effort my alma mater, the Georgetown University Law Center, is taking with something they call the Iron Tech Contest. 
The idea is that law students, as part of a course taught by Tanina Rostein and Roger Skalbeck, hear from experts on legal innovation and then work in teams to develop a platform, an application, or an automated system that increases access to justice and or improves the effectiveness of legal representation. They, they develop those projects and then they take the projects before a, a panel of expert judges as part of what they're calling the Iron Tech Competition. The winning ideas this year included a pro bono bankruptcy advisor, a minimum wage and overtime calculator, a supplemental nutrition access program, eligibility and benefits advisor, and a California expungement advisor. Tom, as fans of shows like Iron Chef, Top Chef, and other reality competition shows, this approach seems like something that we'd have to like. What's your reaction? Well, I think I have a couple of different reactions. I think you're right. It is something we have to like. My first reaction is, is wow. I, I, law students talking about programming and, 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 and com- creating apps and stuff like that. I, I think that's really complicated stuff. And as much as I like to think I know about technology, I, I don't know that I can put my, you know, wrap my head around some of the things that they've been doing. My, my second reaction is, is kind of Good on you, Georgetown Law School. You know, the goal of the project is to get law students to think about how technology can shape the practice of law. And, and that's something that you and I and, and a lot of our friends have wanted to see for a long time in law school, which is teaching law school about the important law students about the importance of, of legal technology. But this is sort of on steroids because they're not just using the technology, they're actually creating it. I guess my third. My third reaction is uh, another good on you for the, the focus that they had, which was, which was like you said, the access to justice. Because I, I think that it, it makes a lot of sense to design apps that allow underserved legal populations to get quick answers to certain questions, something that I think big law firms have been doing for their clients for a long time now. You know, and like big firms will provide an employment law advisor to help HR staff for their clients comply with, with applicable employment laws or, or you know, divorce lawyers doing child support calculators that give a person an idea of how much they, they might owe in child support. I, I, you know, I think that the apps that, that the Georgetown students created are all around areas that people who might not be able to afford a lawyer might need help with. You know, like you said, declaring bankruptcy, getting criminal records expunged, learning more about what they can and can't do under a restraining order. I think they're very practical applications that are, that are sort of the, 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 the new way to, to help to provide self-help uh, to uh, to people who may not need to go to a lawyer for these types of issues, and I I guess my fourth reaction was, wow, I still can't believe that these lawyers are developing apps. It really it really I think puts my time in law school to to shame. Dennis, did you feel the same way? Yeah, although I think that uh, as a law student, I feel like I have more free time than I do now, and and I guess <laughs> I would rather be developing apps than 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 reading a whole a hundred pages of cases, but. Um, yeah, I just think this is a really cool uh, program. It makes me proud to have, to have gone to 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 Georgetown, and and so the point I agree with all the points you make. But what I really like about this is it, in this job market, um, to be able to do something like this and to have this on your portfolio of what you've done in addition to classes, I I think puts you almost in a different category of of job applicant. You know, and I think it opens up some things. Um, not just in legal practice, but possibly in the technology field, possibly with some of the legal software companies 
and and makes you uh, makes the, these students a lot more employable, and it also helps them. I think as they uh, go on to represent clients to say, "Hey, this is what it takes to put something together. This is what it takes to uh, be able to present something in a way that it can be judged, and where you potentially win prizes." In you know, uh, and in the real world, that would mean funding to to move a business forward. So. There's just a lot of skills that get pulled together in a really interesting way. And I, I think the benefit and, and what I'd be curious about if, as this goes on is to see if if the students involved really feel that it did have an impact on their employability and, and the oppor- opportunities they have. So um, I'm with you, Tom. I, I've wanted to, to mention this f- for a, a couple months now on the podcast. I, I just think it's... Uh, there's some examples of some of the things that are going on in the, in the law schools that are sort of practical and technology related. And this one's a little bit further out there in a way than, than other things. Uh, but it's, uh, it's so innovative and, and I think it would make it, that would be such a fun class to, to take in law school. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. You know, I'm going to revisit a tip that I have uh, mentioned in the past, and that is the If This Then That website, ifttt.com. Uh, you know, they continue to innovate. They continue to make it easy to automate things on the web. They recently debuted their own iPhone app, which I think is getting really, really good reviews, even though it's a little bit basic. I, I've heard nothing but good reviews about it. But, you know, I just happened to see an article on Lifehacker couple of weeks ago that's just called the best Gmail IFTTT recipes. And it's just cool stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily think about doing. You know, there's a recipe where you can add anytime a receipt appears in your inbox, it'll automatically add it to a Google Drive spreadsheet so you can keep track of purchases. Um, Anytime there's an attachment that comes in, it can automatically save those attachments to Dropbox. Um, anytime that you, uh, you know, if you star an email, it will schedule a reminder so that you, it reminds you to do whatever it is in that particular email. And I'm really just talking about Gmail. They have literally dozens of other programs that you can set up these little recipes to say, if this happens with one of my web services, then I want you to do that in another web service. And I, I just think it's, there's so much creativity and power there, and it's, you can take advantage of what other people have done, but you can also create your own stuff as well, and I, I, think, I think you should take advantage of it. IFTTT.com. Yeah, if, if, there's, if I were to point to one or two things that have in technology that I wish I had the time to do more with, this would be one of those, those two. I, just, I think it's a really cool idea, and there's and some really helpful things you can do. Um, Tom, my my parting shot is uh, is a hashtag actually, um, and it's a hashtag. Uh, just to clarify, hashtag means pound sign, and then ILTA thirteen. Uh, the ILTA uh, International Legal Technology Association conference is coming up August eighteenth to twenty second. Um, that's the official hashtag, and so on Twitter, if you do searches on that hashtag, uh, the ILTA thirteen hashtag. You'll have uh, you'll get the tweets of people who are at the conference or talking about subjects at that conference, and it's a great way to follow what's going on in the sessions, the discussion that's going on in one handy place. So this is great. That's a great technology conference, uh, and 
It, this is just a simple way that will show you the value of hashtags and also let you know the discussion that's going on around that conference. It focuses on you know sort of high-end technology and, and a big firm focus. But if you really like legal technology, this is a great way to follow it without, without being there. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as Links to all the topics we discussed today are available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. And you can get to all archives of all of our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please send us an email at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating the podcast on iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.